let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11 and continue our series during our season of rest. Uh, during worship, I felt as though some might need some healing in their legs and knees. And you weren't forget that. I want to put some hands on that. It's on your family, right? Or you yourself, I'm going Me too, yeah. If you have achiness in your knees or there's damage or something else, legs or knees, if you're not holding a child, could you stand? And let's have some people pray for you. But just stand up and let's pray for these folks, especially if it's hindered you from being able to move about you. And just get some people around and, and let's just pray this kind
Any other differences? I, I feel like the Lord wants us to go for it, Terry. Tell us. I feel like we're going to come into some very new, simple, practical experiences of, of healing. So we're still working on it. That's okay. I, I feel like the Lord's going to move on us that way. And we're going to move on the Lord that way. By the way, we are going to respond to the word this morning, God willing. We're going to have some more worship in response to the word. And then really uh, pray for one another. I'm going to ask some folks just to stand around for ministry, for encouragement, and for healing later. And just make this an environment of, of restoration, healing, and worship. We'll see how that goes. But for now, I want to give this third teaching, which will also be a proclamation this morning, on this issue in, uh, that, that is defining for our season of rest. So this is the third part of our rest series which really is not a series, but it's just three teachings in this morning's proclamation that defines, expresses a season of rest, a season of rest. One of the most important things that we can experience as believers, and that is entering into his rest. When we are at rest from our dead works, and we are at rest from the pressures, the powers of this age, we are then wholly available to perform the works of God. Jesus was asleep on the boat. He woke up and rebuked the storm. It is a powerful picture. He was not worried about any of the elements, natural or spiritual, on the earth. He was at rest in God. And this is what the prophets constantly called God's people back to when they fell into sin and idolatry. Because when they <laughs> fell into those sins and defiance against the Lord, they also fell into the, the chaos that ruled in the seas before God brought order and creation in Genesis and then in Noah's day and in the Exodus. They're, they're, they, just, they, they just plunged into the realm of chaos. And so the prophets would constantly call people simply back to the Lord, but then he would refresh them and give them rest. And that's where we need to be in the spirit, because when we're at rest, we're dead to the things that dismantle our power. And we're alive to God in an immediate sense. So the first thing we talk about in terms of entering his rest is by simply returning to Jesus. We have to maintain our heritage of repentance and really view it positively, not just as turning away from sin, but as really, truly, deeply, and consistently coming to Jesus. And in some ways, we're going to talk about so there's not only repentance, but there's relationship we talk about. And then secondly, we talk about the fruit of that place of rest. The fruit of really joining ourselves to Jesus is having a meek spirit. Being meek people. I would define that as really the, the, the primary expression of a, of a disciple who's grounded, uh, formed, developed is the meek spirit. Someone who doesn't have his or her own doesn't need to please people, doesn't need to succumb to pressure, uh, because they're yielded to God. As a result, they can afford to be gentle, or to experience any of God's emotions without fear of ramification, fear of consequence. Now, today we're talking about power and spirit. How does that fit into rest? I don't know, but we're just going to force it in there. No, I'm just kidding. It has everything to do with it. Listen, the spirit of the Lord is at rest. Person who 
the meek person upon whom the Spirit is comfortable to rest. And we all have the Holy Spirit, but we don't always experience and express the tangible benefits. I believe to develop that relationship with the Spirit will be tangibly present and operative on a person's life. I mean, when we carry this presence, is when we're at rest and therefore bear the fruit of meekness, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. When we bear that fruit, the Spirit will consistently come upon us in a fresh way. Judge Wigglesworth told the story of uh, a young man, a minister from Russia, who was just a powerful man of the Spirit. I mean, the tangible presence was with this man. When people constantly begged him, what's your secret? And he said, it's too sacred to share. But finally, they prevailed upon him. And they said, what's your secret to having the Spirit rest upon you? He said, I yield to God. He said, when I, when I got born again, I was so thankful for what God had done for me that I told him, I will yield to you in every aspect of my life. If the Spirit ever moves on me in any way, or just knowing what your will is for my wife, my wife and my life, I yield to you, I yield, and I yield, and I yield, and I yield, and I yield, until I know your presence. He said, that's the way I live my life. Smith Wimsworth said, that's where the power of God is. It's not just in having the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues. The power of God is that the Spirit, we can say the Spirit of the Lord is upon So that's something you cultivate. People like to say, well, that's just automatic. Sure, Son of God. You have the Spirit automatically if, if you're a son or a daughter of God. But you and I don't necessarily walk in the tangible power of the Spirit unless we're willing to develop a radical and deep Christ-likeness. The person who's developed to the point of meekness kind of person, the shy dove of the Holy Spirit is comfortable to rest upon. And that's why we're talking about the presence of the Spirit when we're talking about, and the power of the Spirit when we're talking about rest. Because the aspect of rest we're talking about today is restoration. We must be restored and we must bring restoration to others. And that comes about when the Spirit of the Lord is resting. In Genesis 1, when there was nothing but the, the chaotic waters, you remember it, it talks about the, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. Now, I believe the image there, though it's not explicit, it becomes more explicit later in Genesis, when Noah lets that dove out over the flood. Picture even in Genesis 1, implicitly, is that of a dove looking for a place to land. There was no place. So the Lord began to speak and create, let there be light, and he started to create space and environment, and ultimately a human being, for this great dove to rest upon. Sure enough, you know, Noah lets out this dove, and he comes back, and there's no place to land. It's a picture of Genesis again, or, or Genesis 1, creation again, when the chaotic waters are coming to the earth. When the floods begin to recede, recede right? Then the, the dove has a place to land when it brings back a branch at one point every Well, that's ultimately fulfilled when Jesus, the meek Son of God, which is how he rules, Psalm 45, when he emerges out of the waters of baptism, a dove rests on the And in the ultimate sense, what God is saying is, finally, the dove has a place That's our whole purpose in life. Provide the place of the earth 
morning I'm making a proclamation during which I believe the keys of the kingdom will be turned. This belief the Lord has appointed this moment and us after this to be uh, restorers on a holy level. But I believe this moment will be a prophetic proclamation that will have literal impact in the city. The Bible says Jesus taught us I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you find on earth shall be found in Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So I believe we're stewarding this something this morning through governmental kingdom authority. There will be chains that will be loosed. There will be people and just uh, expressions of the spirit that will be loosed where they have been bound. And there will be hindering spirits and hindrances that will be bound, that will have been, that used to be loose. that makes sense? I believe there's going to be a proclamation this morning so that this message going forth will actually be like a key of the kingdom that will offer some control over the future. So then the, the call for us is to walk in this thing, to be mindful of, to be mindful of our identity, and to be more intentional about walking in it. It's not because we've been slacking in that intentionality, because this is just that season. Where the Lord is saying, now all the more. And we're going from, in our, something we're only beginning to establish, that it will be a rhythm for all of our lives, is this seasonal rhythm from going from season to season. And understanding what the seasons are and moving through them so that we're, we're, we're organic and we're moved by the Lord. We're not just churning out church. We have to kill that. That's one of the things that's going to be bound up. This humanistic projection of what church is. We've created environments for the Lord that are very sterile. And so what we're doing is moving from season to season to glory to glory. So we are, oh, this is my other thing about this. The one other thing that I'll say in my other I am going to speak into our identities prophetically. I'm going to speak the governmental kingdom. And I say that with, because I feel the Lord wanted me to, 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 to say these things clearly so that you can understand where I'm coming from. I believe there will be signs that something has changed after this. Things that will be outside of us and things that will be inside of us. I can't tell you what they are because I don't believe the Lord showed me, but I believe he showed me that they will be there. There will be signs that follow this portrait. Something will change in us and in our city. This is a governmental world. I want to help create the environment. And I'm speaking to our identity, so something will be created. Okay? So in speaking into our identity, I'm going I'm to speak about what we're called to do, but I'm not living under the delusion that we are it, and everyone else is not it. I don't believe that. I don't have that in my heart. And frankly, even though I believe we are embracing fundamental issues, that have been ignored. I believe we are radical and we're on our way to radical. I do believe that. But I also believe and know that we belong to a much larger movement around the world that is willing to reform a wineskin for the outpouring of new wine. I am very conscious of that. I delight in that. I don't want to have the attitude that we're the only ones with it. Or we'll be arrogant and we won't serve. We'll just criticize others. And that's demonic. And furthermore, it's simply not true. I mean, 
supernatural, glorious. God has connected me and us. But I mean, when I speak about me, I just mean my own friendships. I, I have garnered, and really the Spirit has garnered for me, relationships that weren't there before, or on a level they weren't there before, that makes my whole life feel brand new. With other leaders, the relationship with other leaders that have the same DNA and calling that we have. It's just supernatural, popped up suddenly. And I'm connected with these dudes, and I travel, and I, I talk with them, and it's there. Man, there's a movement happening out there. We are in that season of the new Jesus people rising with a, with a kingdom DNA rather than an established humanistic churchianity DNA. It's out there. So everything I say, I say in that much larger context to foster a humble spirit of servitude rather than a spirit of arrogance that just wants to compare ourselves with someone else. You don't have it, we do it. Man, we're not about it. I mean, there's times to prophesy the contract. That's necessary. That's a prophetic call. We're going to do that this morning. But we're not about comparing ourselves with those like we're something that they're not. I mean, outwardly, we don't look that impressive to begin with because we're God likes to work anyway. But our whole spirit has got to be weak. Not like we got it else. We have it. We have it as a gift ourselves. We want to give it away. But still we have to be confident in this identity. And I don't want to be afraid of arrogance and let it take away my confidence. So I want to speak into our confidence and I believe the Lord will change things as a result. We're speaking about restoration. And I am declaring that we are commissioned by the Lord to restore God's kingdom. In the earth, in our city, and in our own lives. We are commissioned to restore kingdom where it always should have been in the church, in our lives, in our city. I'm not saying we lacked it completely. I'm not. I'm speaking prophetically. Let these words find the context that the apostles create and the church creates, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But some of what I'm saying is going to have a prophetic bent to it. It's not going to have a qualifier. It just fit into a larger picture, which should be our culture. That makes sense? Even if it doesn't, as our cats used to tell me, or at least he said once before I got up to speak, speak over their heads. And he didn't mean speak in a way they couldn't understand. What he meant was don't worry about making it, chewing it for them. But speak into the spirit and their spirit. What they catch with their mind will probably, will probably be a thousand things. For every one thing we get in our mind, there's a thousand things that will happen. But they'll be attached to what's in our so you know how you get a thousand things that's attached to the one you understand? How you get that out? Praying tongues. That's what that's doing. I'm serious. You have to rediscover that. And what I said before, Pentecostals like praying tongues, they don't always have power. So I contrast that. Now getting back to that, we want the power. But guess what? We have to pray in tongues. We want to be God's people. We got to pray beyond ourselves. There's a subtle pride that uses. Because I'm happy with what I understand and what I can do. Like, you know how many things you're called to pray for that you don't, you're not conscious of? Paul said, when I pray, my spirit fills. So, that's what you pray. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other area of the influence today, unless I get to it. I just really encourage you to speak in tongues. We, we are commissioned to be those who are restored and bring restoration. And I'm going to list a handful of we are called to restore. But first, I want to show you the relationship of the Holy Spirit 
to the ministry of restoration. It is a consistent theme in the prophets. And I'd like to begin by looking at Isaiah chapter 11. And I want to I want to go through several passages in Isaiah. We'll see how many uh, as we go. Maybe just a few, but especially Isaiah. But you guys, all throughout the prophets, this message of restoration resounds like a trumpet. Just constantly. Some people, they don't understand the prophets, and they're like, that was the days of judgment, now the days of grace. It's like, you haven't read the prophets. The things Jesus said that were all about grace, he gets, he's echoing what he already spoke to the prophets on. Yes, they spoke about judgment, but they always spoke about restoration. And a lot of that, excuse me, were beautiful prophecies of Isaiah. The first one is in Isaiah 11. And it's, it's the, the first one we're looking at. It, it's this picture of the king that's going to rise of David's family. Jesse's mentioning this. And what, uh, what characterizes him when he refers to the spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. This is his character. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. Now we know Jesus is God. At this point, it was being insinuated. But whoever this king was going to be, according to this prophecy, the spirit of Yahweh himself would rest on this son of David. So that he would rule not in a natural way, but in a supernatural way. And that's all characterized and embodied in the spirit of Yahweh that rested upon him. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. In verse 2, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. Did you know that the Spirit of God is one of His manifestations, is the Spirit of the fear of the Lord? One of the characteristics and, and I, uh, identities, that's not a good way of saying it, one of the identities, expression of the Spirit of God, one of His characteristics, one of His attributes, is to be the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And Jesus was reflecting this in John 4 when He said, we're called to worship in spirit and in truth. That means we're called to worship in the fear of the Lord. That's part of what that means. Of actually treating God as God, even though he's good, he's God. That never changes, even with all of his goodness, all of his gentleness. So much so that we need a supernatural endowment to fear him properly. Amen to that. If we try to do that in the flesh, we either get too sloppy, and he's some big giant Santa Claus you can do anything with. On the other hand, we become legalistic and fear mongers and those who you know, try to rule and do fear and intimidation and always threat, threat, threat. We just can't do the Spirit of the Lord without the Spirit of the Spirit of the Lord. And yet, in the Spirit of the Lord, we must have the fear of the Lord. This is one of the key things we are called to restore. Because it's been lost even to churches that are beginning to understand the kingdom more in terms of power, but they're losing the fear of the Lord. And we have to be those who embody it if we want to be on the edge of God's program. I'll get to that in a minute. So the spirit is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And if you think that's a negative thing, then just read the next verse. And this Messiah, in verse 3, will delight in the fear of the Lord. And that is, that is Jesus all day. Never a man more yielded to God as God than Jesus. 
Now, his characteristics as king, as king's judge, that's primarily what they do, especially from an Old Testament point of view. He will not judge by what his eyes see. He will not make a decision by what his ears hear. Come on now, he's supernatural. We, we make judgments all day long, as carnal believers, all the time, by what our eyes see, our ears hear, and what we feel in our circumstances. Jesus dwelt in the realm of the Spirit. It's very practical. He will judge the poor with righteousness, he'll decide with fairness of the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth in the rod of his mouth, with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness will belt about his ways. Now listen to what this man does. It's already implied in those two verses. But this is the result of a king who rules by the Spirit of God. In verse 6, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. <coughs> the leper will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and bear will graze. Uh, the young will lie down. Their young will lie down together. This is a cow and a bear. The whole the, the, the cycle of, of the, the predator's course and the natural course of things will be done away with. What's happening here? The spirit of the Lord on this king will restore nature to the harmony that God intended. It is the work of the spirit to bring us through. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. And look at verse 10. That's nature, not politics. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be that is the mark of the king who rules by the spirit. He restores everything to God's original intention. Nature and nations, all restored in perfect harmony with one king. And what will be the mark of all creation at that point? One huge, all-pervading, eternal Sabbath. His resting place will be glory. And that is awesome. I've got all kinds of scriptures that I was going to read. Let me just give you a couple more here. Um, how about, you know what? Um, Isaiah 44, write it down if you want to. Isaiah 42. I have 44, 1 and following. Isaiah 42, 1 and following. We probably should turn to Isaiah 61. Look at this one, and then just move into four of the points. Again, in verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord Yahweh is upon me. This is, this is a prophetic person speaking, but it's a prophecy for the king. And Jesus quotes this in Luke 4, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What's the purpose of the Spirit of the Lord? Because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners. So you see, the result of the Spirit of the Lord resting on someone is immediately restoration. But it's a restoration all in relationship to the king who's proclaiming this restoration. Does that make sense? The kingdom of heaven brings restoration. It's one of our three main values. We value the kingdom, and then we value it in two ways. The way it manifests family or community and mission or restoration. They're interchangeable. Family and community, same thing. Mission and restoration, the same thing. 
Because the work of the gospel is to exhibit that power to bring restoration. But it's all under the rule of the king. It's not false healings. It's not world peace without God. You understand what I'm saying? It's not you know, just becoming happier as families because we've learned some principles of psychology, though that may help in, under God's wisdom. But the restoration comes because we're ruled by Jesus. And the restoration is actual because of the presence of the So he goes on, he's proclaiming in verse 2, the favorable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, and that they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that he might be glorified. See, Jesus said, you'll be witnesses of me. When we are restored ourselves in the way that that passage describes, then we become like oaks of righteousness. We were these trees that were withering without sustenance, without hydration, without the nutrients of good soil. We were in drought, whatever. We were these pathetic little trees of different kinds. But when the spirit of Yahweh comes upon us, even if it's in the midst of drought, we become oaks of righteousness. And it says the planting of the Lord. He did it. So when you see people who are broken, I mean broken beyond recognition, then they're restored through the power of the gospel, which is the announcement of the kingdom. It's empowered by the spirit. Then they become this full-blown, healthy tree in leaf with whatever fruit it bears, whatever it is. And the whole idea is that cannot happen except Yahweh has done it. So they're his planting. He's glorified. That's why Jesus said, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. Because if you become what I've called you to be, and then bring the power that I've called you to bring, there ain't nobody to take credit for that. Jesus came. That's all you can say. That's where we need to be. That's our call. So there are specific things to which we are called to bring the Spirit, and therefore bring about restoration. There are specific things that we're supposed to be uh, tending to. Those are the things I'm going to discuss. But you know what? i got to finish this passage. So we're restored in verse 3, right? We become the oaks of righteousness that glorify the Lord. So because we're restored, we glorify the Lord. Now look at verse 4. Then these restored ones, they will rebuild the They will raise up the former devastation. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Praise God, one generation can overcome the desolations of many generations. If the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, and we are taking our prophetic and apostolic mandate to cultivate the Spirit of the Lord and bring restoration. And it's got to start right in here, in our churches. I've got other passages, but I'm not going to go to that. We need to move on. Going to reference Ezekiel 37, where the Spirit of the Lord is called upon. The word restore is even used in that passage. He's turning the dry bones into a, an army that's alive. It's all about the Spirit of the Lord. When he prophesies to the breath, in Hebrew, it's ruach, which means breath, wind, or spirit. And later on in the passage, my English Bible, which calls it breath earlier, when he prophesied to the breath, it speaks of, and what does this mean? He says, the Spirit of the Lord will come in the army. Same word, breath. He prophesied to the Spirit to begin with. Calling on the Spirit to bring new life. Isaiah, not Isaiah, Ezekiel again, 39. 
God says, I will no longer hide my face from Israel because I will pour out my spirit upon them. Come on now. The face of Yahweh is the spirit of God. That's how you seek his face. Cultivate the spirit of God. When iron We are called to cultivate life in the Spirit, and therefore bring the Spirit of God to bring restoration. How do we become restored? How do we receive power to restore others? How do we restore the power of the Holy Spirit? I want to talk about a few areas where we're called to cultivate that restoration. I don't know if I'll get to them all, but let me list them now. And maybe I can send out a video blog or otherwise with the things I don't cover. But I'm going to start with the most important work my way down to the most important also. Okay. Let me just give you the list that I have here. These are the things on my heart. So this is about one, two, three, four, five. Uh, the most important, we have to restore Jesus. And it's not because Jesus needs restoration as if he's heard and you know more beautiful. We just have to restore really ourselves to the real Jesus. We're called to restore worship. We're, we're called to restore volunteerism. That's a kingdom issue in Psalm 110. <coughs> Even though we're not in a volunteer state, there's a spirit in the church that's pacified for some reason. We have to kill that and restore the spirit of volunteering. Because if we're not volunteering wholeheartedly the way Jesus called every disciple for kingdom work, then our king is not great in our eyes. Because in Psalm 110, it says, Your people volunteer for you the day of your We have to restore a New Testament church mindset. We have to restore the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin by talking about Jesus, shall we? Matthew 13, verse 54. If you turn there. Matthew 13. Little story in Matthew's Gospel. After Jesus finished his parables on the mysteries of the kingdom. This little snippet of a story occurs that I believe is very insightful for our day and generation. Matthew 13, 53 and following, we'll look at that. Now, this is not something that happens overnight. This is something we have to cultivate and restore. When Jesus finished these parables, he departed from there. Now, this is very important in verse 54. He came to his hometown. He began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. I don't know what your word there says. Astonished is a good word. Find out in a minute that their astonishment, which can be positive, this was a negative astonishment. They were shocked, the word can mean shocked, and overwhelmed. So they were overwhelmed, but they were not overwhelmed in a good way. They were overwhelmed in a way where they were immobilized in their minds and in their emotions. So they were astonished, and they said, where did this man? Get this wisdom and these miraculous powers. Yeah, it just says powers. The word in Greek for miracle is just power. It's the same word that we use for power in humans. It's just made into like a plural powers. Where did this man get this wisdom and these powers? Which, by the way, that's, this is our calling. This is thematic for the king's people. Our DNA and part of the inheritance that I helped to give as a leader here. 
works in these two areas, God willing. It's this like miracle working sage form of the kingdom. This is a thematic verse for us. Wisdom and miracles. Recall, Matthew's gospel is very thematic for our group. We're called to be people of wisdom in every area of life, supernatural wisdom. Everything from raising children, finding out the billions of resources in an inner city that are, are there and knowing how to touch them. Talk about diagnosing medical problems and then healing them. Talking about solid relationships and getting a million dollars out of one dollar financially. Talk about supernatural wisdom and miracles. The kingdoms. Now Jesus is presenting this thing in Nazareth. Come on guys. Where he grew up. And at this point in verse 54, though we read about his limits later, in verse 54, he's unloading enough to overwhelm them. Wisdom and powers. It says their son where did this man, and, and notice the terminology, where did this man? Because in Nazareth, Jesus wasn't coming from the outside. He was not visiting. He was home. So they already knew him. They recognized not only his face, but his facial features, his mannerisms, his family. This is someone they were already familiar. Verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Miriam? His brothers, Jacob, Joseph, Simon, Judah. And his sisters, are they not all with us? People usually get moving trucks, century Mediterranean. They're not sure in their home village their whole lives. Where then, if that's the case, did this man get all these things? And they took offense. They weren't astonished, like, wow, the Yeshua we never saw. No, they're like, no, uh -uh. That's not, listen to me, guys. That supernatural wisdom, that supernatural power, that's not the Jesus we know. And that's not the Jesus we know. They refuse it. Scandalized, you become angry, it means stumbling, it comes from a word which means we're trapped. We're trapped by our natural view of Jesus. Even when that very Jesus performs miracles, we will not go into that place with him. He's just our Jesus in life. The neighborhood. And then look at verse 58. Excuse me, verse 57 still. They took offense in him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So you know what? In this passage, unbelief equals dishonor. And dishonor was an unwillingness to see Jesus beyond the confines of our friendly neighborhood. The neighborhood vision of Jesus in which we get comfortable with him. And when he expresses himself outside of the neighborhood that we're comfortable with him in, we refuse him. Instead of saying, well, blow my mind then, that's not the Jesus I knew. I don't care if they, if they did grow up with him and, and were familiar with him over 30 years. If, if, if that was a secret and now he's expressing 
These are three areas that I've identified that keep us from seeing Jesus outside of our American religious neighborhoods. A religious neighborhood that we have thankfully and proudly exported all around. Buy Jesus from us now. Made in the USA. And we'll send along our little airplanes. We built our own Christian neighborhoods for Jesus. One of them is absolute oversaturation. I don't mean with Jesus himself and the Spirit. I mean in his Christian. Think about it. Where is the all-encompassing power of God in the church? There are some people coming into power, and I thank God for it. I've seen and you've seen the power of God in prophecy and healing. And we cherish these things. They're from God. We want to cultivate them. But where, with, with as many buildings as we have, as I mean, how many Christian TV channels can you find on direct <laughs> The list about that big? How many Christian bookstores, how many Christian books, how many Christian celebrities, how many buildings do we have to dig, build so large? How many ministries do we have to finance so big and see less change in our nation than we did before? How much does that have to happen before we say something's not right about this picture? We've been oversaturated because oversaturation creates an illusion that keeps us away from reality. But you, you, you touch a button, you can suddenly, I mean, you, that, you touch a button, you suddenly be looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. People have a lot of things you can be looking at that are clean, but they still, they, 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 they numb the mind from the actual Jesus himself. We built a neighborhood that we can't see Jesus beyond, and it's sheer oversaturation. This Christian everything, and that show, that's the one to watch because of this and then that's the church we go to for that reason. And it's become like this gigantic candy store. And we walk Jesus in the middle of all the Jesuses everywhere. Amen. We need to cultivate our own relationship with Jesus with a sense of majesty and presence. And heaven help us if we become just another thing on the website. I, I think it's a good resource we use it. But we have to be cautious and make sure that what is being said and done is in the spirit of God and the fear of the Lord. So it's like, we'll take it or leave it. Building, if the guy continues to provide, we'll use it. If he doesn't, we won't. It's, but I don't want to, like, I don't want to have a spirit, like, unless we cater to a certain way of even doing church that we can't exist. We, it, that's an illusion. We've created an illusion. We are experts at image. Cartoons now look real. Computer animation looks like the actual world. You can go there in your mind. That is in itself a prophecy of what we've done in spirit and everything else. We've so oversaturated, we've replaced Jesus with an image of Jesus, which is idolatry. It's a song that Michael Card sang long ago on an album called Scandal On, which is the Greek word for offense that we write here, they scandalize me. He said, um, no, I think it's the album. Okay, forget it. Uh, but in any case, um, he said, we, the, the, the lyrics go, we made you in our image, now our faith is idolatry. Okay, how, how can what I'm saying disprove it? It is everything. And it was the trick of the devil to go overboard without the reality, so we have to teach it. People don't know what they're talking about. I'm not against Hollywood. As far as I'm concerned, we're having this morning. Real church is done. Face-to-face family. This is a conference for education. 
restoration is created in illusion. We need a restoration of Jesus. We need to actually relate to him and know him. And let him be a lion that is not caged or on our leash. Not that he's actually bound by those things, but for seasons he'll submit to them. And he'll just break out. We have to run after him. Praise God. Another Christian neighborhood is the old wineskin. you got to fit inside our mold, our governmental structures of doing church, or we don't recognize you. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times I've had this conversation with people who are married to the tradition, sorry, a traditional way of doing church. They're like, well, what are you talking about? And I explain it, and they go, I don't get it. That's not practical. I'm like, yes, it is practical. I can describe it as practically fine. I can write every detail down, which is overdoing it, but I can do it. It's not that you don't understand it. It's that it's, it's way different from what you feel is a sacred form of church. And in fact, it's a wineskin that cannot hold new wine. So we have, we have to be delivered. We can't now just talk about it, because right now we've got some doing and some talk. We have to start doing it all the way. It's radical. It will, it will require a suffering of us all to restore Jesus to the church because it will require a wineskin that has become a neighborhood in which we can only see Jesus up to a point because he wants to operate outside of that and outside of those parameters. These are the three things I saw getting to the third as the Christian neighborhoods. The oversaturation, the old wineskin that cannot flex with the good wine. You know, when you put new wine in an old wine skin, the new wine, it ferments over there. It ferments, of course, so it expands and moves. And what does it do? It breaks the old brittle wine skin. It's already been uh, stretched and dried and just destroys it. And then the new wine skin. And that's happened. And I don't feel like, oh, that's not us. I feel like it could be us. We need to flex with the wine. See, this isn't a matter of, give me, whining about an old way of doing church. It, it, it's not coming because I got my little issue. It's coming from me in what I'm saying because I love Jesus and I, I, I want to be blown away and have a sense of awe. I don't want to lock him in and define him. I'm up on my terms. I'm desperate. And the third thing is a self-centered Christianity. The two things that we just talked about are really simple. We've created a Christianity that's self-centered. We don't talk about the kingdom. We turn God's faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his intense concern for us, by which he does want to take care of us and bless us. And let us remind him of his word so that we will uh, stand in faith and believe that God's word is true. He will provide. But we have turned his provision and goodness into a spirit of entitlement. And it pervades the church. And a, a view of Jesus that may not meet our need or do what we want him to do when we want him to do it, we have no tolerance. So what we do is we either teach it as if he will, or we forsake him. But even though he's a faithful God who loves us, who will always meet our needs, he is not he is not bound by our whims. He is who he is. And that always has to be kept in order. And it's not always easy to do that because he provides so much for us. 
and is so good. No one's arguing that, but we turn that in our typical iPhone, iMac, iPod, iPad, in our eye-centered world, we turn the, these beautiful promises, which we should stand on, and always expect, we just made a subtle step over a line. It's a line that's extreme. The faith and entitlement is very fine, but it is absolutely almighty. When you take that step over, bend it into a realm of self-centered arrogance, and created a neighborhood for Jesus. If he doesn't meet our needs, when we want him to meet him, suddenly we either get mad at him or we teach him that he should be and be sanctified and sanctified. This is exactly the way the devil tempted Jesus. Turn the bread, turn the stone into bread. You know what? God did minister to Jesus' name. Demons. The end of the, uh, the, end of the passage there in the temptation, the angels came in. And Jesus created bread in the world. Did he do that in ministry? Right? What about storing off the temple? What God vindicated you? Come on, you're the son of God, you should go hungry. You're the son of God, you should prove yourself. Don't be out here in the wilderness. Do something great. Let the angel of God catch you up. Didn't God vindicate Jesus by raising him from the dead? Hasn't he been vindicated? Fully vindicated for all the world to see? Not yet, that's coming. So will it not come? And has it not happened in the witness of many? So he was going to get vindicated. He was going to get bread. What about all the kings of the world? Bow down and worship him, though. Jesus got that. That was going to happen. The issue was not, are you really the son of God? That was not the issue. The issue was not, you shouldn't have this. The issue is, will you, will you get that out of spirit of entitlement? You're the son of God. You're the son of God. That's a subtle difference. Jesus operated in the miraculous lived under the showers of God's blessing, not relate to the Father as if he preserved the bread, even though he did. There's a subtle difference. As soon as we move into a mode that we deserve this or you're bad and you're wrong, we've entered into the spirit of entitlement. We've created that in our church culture. We have to get out of that and find out who God is burning in a bush. Who says, I am what I am, and I'm calling you, let's go. Jesus, it says in Hebrews, he was hurt because of his piety. Well, God, he just he delights in you exactly the way you are, and he always answers your prayer. Hebrews 5, it says, Jesus was hurt by Father because of his piety. In other words, he yielded to God as God. He didn't operate the spirit of the time. Now, I'm the man. He actually related to God, knowing that God would take care of him, knowing that God would raise him from the dead, knowing that God would provide for him. He still related to his father as if he were God Almighty. And that's the same pattern as well. We need to restore the fear of the Lord in the church. We must restore Jesus. Okay, I'm going to go to the other ones. <coughs> My friends, it is our privilege and grace to restore him. To restore him to his church as the Jesus that he was always sent to. We must restore worship. We honor the king by engaging in worship as a lifestyle. I'm not just talking about when we come to our first Sunday service. That's an expression of a life of worship. The key to worship in the spirit is to be in awe of God and to actually engage. Based on the point I made previously, our culture has taught us to feel connected without engaging the Lord's presence. 
We have to kill them and actually learn to engage with them. Even if, even if it's something that has been cultivated Give it a college try. It's time for us to restore spirit of worship in the church. Something has happened in our culture of worship. There are some good things that have happened, and there are some bad things that have happened. In my estimation, as popular as worship is now, when I sometimes are meetings where some of this great worship is happening, I don't see a lot of worship. I don't, I don't get it. There's these new songs, this new thing happening. There's, there's not an engagement of worship. Now, sometimes there is. I'm talking about the time there's not. But it's a surprising amount. It, it feels like something's happened that has scattered. Like, I enjoy when a coffee house atmosphere where someone's playing and people are mingling. I think that's wonderful. There's a place for that. But sometimes it almost seems that that's the mode that was the worship. That is this loose, you know, whatever you want in you know, There's things going on in the background. There's not a unity. There's not one voice. I believe in that, doing that, but I think the church has lost the sense of God's awe by not engaging together in worship and not having that awesome. It's just something that has to happen. I mean, when we get together, even in a house group where there's no music maybe that day, it's like, well, their hearts are on play and they engage. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your glory. This is why we live. We engage you now. Jesus said, Abide in me. We have to engage. Amen. Throw off these, these, these shackles that pacify us and scatter us and enter in together and get a hold of God. Isaiah complained about a, 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 an obstinate people and said, No one rouses themselves anymore and lays hold of We are called to lay hold of God. You don't have to be super spiritual. We are called to restore worship by laying hold of God. Laying hold of God. You'd be surprised at what happens when you continually lay hold of God. We fill an atmosphere. It is our privilege and grace to restore worship by honoring the Lord, by rousing ourselves to lay hold of Him. I already talked about this briefly, so I'll touch on it again. We are called to restore volunteerism. I'll, I'll uh, read for you part of Psalm 110. Psalm 110, you guys can look that up. I don't have to, but I'm going to set it down. I thought I had it already. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. This is God speaking to his king. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array, from the womb of the dawn, your youth unto you again. Man, if that is not a beautiful picture recalling the day when David was running from Saul in the wilderness, and at some point, people from every tribe streamed from their to this renegade in the desert from every tribe. Remember, warriors of Gad, they were, what's the word? Ambidextrous. Ambidextrous. Anyway, they, they, the right hand to the left, I think it was the left. 
right hand was usually the offense weapon. They could do either one with both. So they were still dispossessed. And the sons of Issachar, they knew the time of the season. They knew what Israel should do. All of these tribes were pulling their resources the day of the revelation of King David because they recognized in heaven, even though from the earth perspective, it looked like a renegade, from heaven's perspective, it was a golden boy that was going to restore the kingdom. So their attitude was not, oh, he's the restorer of the kingdom, then therefore we won't wait for him to just come and tell us what to do. We will go to him and give him our resources. Something happened. It's ironic. It's like the stronger the God kind of leader, the more inspired we are to jump in and say, I want to do something. I want to create space in this thing that's happening. That's what's happening in Israel. The tribes were like, God's got his boy out there. So we're going to go to him and give him our resources. we got warriors that can use their hand. They can run fast. we got the sons of Issachar that understand the times and the seasons. They know what Israel should do. Let's go give these things to the king of the king. We have to restore a volunteer spirit that says, what my resources in the kingdom, I volunteer this King Jesus. Let's do this. Let, let's pull our resources, whatever they may be. I'm not talking about physical resources either. I'm talking about the ability to prophesy. I'm talking about wisdom for families. I'm talking about creativity. I'm talking about gospel ministry. I have a burden for evangelism. When are we going to do evangelism? Well, I say, when are you going to do evangelism? This environment is calling on us in an inspirational way to pool our resources to liberate God's people. In the day of the king's power, there is a volunteer spirit. And I believe we're called to restore that. I remember reading a leadership book by a leader who was a pastor of a very traditionally run church. So they had their staff and the whole deal. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. But, you know, we're called to do something different. But um, he, this pastor, this was back in the 80s, took his entire staff on a conference, the whole staff, not exception. And someone from the conference said, oh, great to see you here. You have your whole staff here. Who's watching the church as you're gone? It's just that question. Shows you the whole unbiblical mentality of what the church is. And, he, and even though this was in an older paradigm, it was a very interesting answer. He said, but the question was, who's running the church as you're gone? He said, the same people who run the church when we're there. The people. They already do it. They already know what to do. I'm not waiting around to be told. We just informed them we wouldn't be there. But how much more when God's doing something that's already spreading this way instead of the middle of it? There's a volunteer spirit coming upon the church. It's like, well, I could have done this before. But you know what? The spirit is moving in a way to bring about a whole new level of empowerment to create in the kingdom of God. Where the people are taking that's the fruit of hope. In fact, I declare that right now, that the spirit of hindrance will come out. And, and that people in, in our spirits and in our resources, spirit, soul, body, physical strength, otherwise, materials, will be released for kingdom purposes. Not to build anything in any man's name or even a king's name. That is the name of, a, of our organizational entity. I'm talking about something that's much bigger and beyond this. I'm talking about the kingdom. Just need one another to inspire and turn and do something about it. And to relate to one another where we're called. But there's a volunteer spirit coming upon us in Jesus' name. And some of you are going to start seeing it. Even you didn't realize you had that you're going to put you know, to work. When that starts happening, there's more risk because it's not a controlled environment. Things can get sloppy. But we, the 
Not that they had space lock, which always risks problems. Those are risks we're willing to embrace and bring help and correction with us, not by having a controlled environment. You know it's not all the way. This is still a volunteer spiritual. And finally, so I did allude to these things. Oh no, two more really quickly. I alluded to them already. I'll just close quickly. Uh, we're, we're called to restore the New Testament church landscape. New kinds of government. I believe in elders overseeing regions of churches. I believe in apostles come and go and oversee a work and train leaders. I see leaders being real leaders, pastoral church leaders with authority who aren't necessarily paid staff. You know, I mean, why does the pay labor to hire when you get to that place? But you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about volunteers become solid leaders, elders and deacons throughout the city. You know, when James says, is anyone you sick call for the elders? His vision is not, I go to this ex, you know, so-and-so Methodist Baptist Church, so I will call the elders from that church. We're talking about in a city. And find out who the elders of the city are and call on them to come pray. Get the word out. It was a city thing. It wasn't a compartmental. I just feel like God is doing something. United Kingdom, Florida, Alabama, Kansas City. It's just a beautiful picture of organic leadership rising, serving, and spreading the wealth of the kingdom of It does not fall funnels I know people do that. They're amazing. I'm not even capable of doing it. At the same time, they do do it in church atmosphere. They use their talents well. And I have the advantage of not being able but still, the fruit of good leadership is not being able to sacrifice control of this. But I have, I've, I've helped the people gain control. And Jesus, 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 Jesus even risked Judas putting the whole thing on He was bent by power. Well, you know, he could be stealing. I know he's stealing. But during this season,
restore the New Testament landscape back to that kind of leadership and then a family spirit can function in any environment. And then finally, and I mean finally, we are called, given the privilege of the grace to restore the power of the Spirit in the church. I encourage you before I encourage you to two things. Number one, let us turn our minds to a place of faith. Because you can pray and even pray fervently and even focus without believing. We have to change our like a mindset. And this is I'm going to ask the Lord. Just think that it, it sees things. It, 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 the time that I've been used in healing, and this is unlike other healers who are better than me. The times I've been used in healing, man, the spirit is stirring. I remember one time, uh, we were in a little house meeting many years ago. These folks blew me out recently, a little house church. It was awesome. They were uh, been connected with fire and then moved out to the Midwest. Woman, the, the mother, wife of the household, was leading the church with her husband. She had a serious heart problem. And she could constantly feel
believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And let's keep that anchor there in our private or as we go. Shabbat. You know, I mean, let's rediscover something. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then I would encourage you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We will pray for you, and I encourage you to open up your mouth. Turn everything over to the Lord. Ask for the gift of the Spirit, and then believe and open your mouth and let her rip. And don't stop the rest of your life. I was taught in school, the baptism of the Holy Spirit class that I took was taught by a man who spoke in tongues when he was young for his baptism and had not spoken in tongues one time after that for many decades. And he was teaching our class. I'm like, I think you missed the point, so you did it once and you believed it. I'd rather have someone believe wrong and pray all the time in tongues than believe right and never pray in tongues. What's the point of that? That's religion. We have the right belief. It doesn't correspond to that. Listen, let's just let's find out what God will do. Praying in tongues, being people full of the Spirit, people of vision, people of prophecy, people of song and hymns and spiritual songs, and people of other tongues. Praise God. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I spoke for a while. So you know what? Whatever we wind up doing now, which we will do some things, please feel free to do what you wish as far as you've got to get your kids to leave, but we still have time. So what we're going to do for a short while, let's do one song since I went so long. Just start. You guys will stay here. Let's spend some time in worship. Just even for, for a few moments, okay? And then after that, I'm going to ask some of our folks, just to help these house churches, just to be over in this area, uh, actually, the kids are going to come here, so we can just spread out. Go ahead and use the front and any, any let's go anywhere. But the folks that are uh, leading our house churches are just going to be praying for people. Uh, if you need anything, if you need healing in your body or you need encouragement, I'm encouraging these folks to pray by faith for healing and to prophesy. So we're going to do that in a little bit, and then there'll be worship going at the same time. Let's just take a few moments to do this. We're going to start with some worship, then I'm going to release people to pray. If there's someone, Thomas, would you mind go running down there and just letting Erin know that we're doing this now, because she was going to get the kids in here to worship with us. But they're going to stay over there so that they're not running around quite yet. She's going to keep them there, and they're going to worship with us, and they're going to pray for one another when we start to pray. And we'll just let things kind of linger that way go as they need to go, but, um, but let, let's, let's spend some time worshiping the Lord now. Please do one song and see what the Spirit does. What do we have? Okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me just pray for us first. We're going to worship the Lord today. Father, we pray that you would, you would draw us right now into your rest. That this is a wonderful season. This is a season of rest that you're creating for us. We ask for the touch of your spirit to draw us to the place of rest, the, the place that, where we enjoy inner sanctuary with you, where we have a vision of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we actually interact with you. So our eyes are on you right now, Lord. You are the one on the throne. You are seated above the cherubim. And we worship and adore you as your footstool. And we ask that you would give us a glimpse of your actual glory. Lord, change our atmosphere and destroy the, the little neighborhoods of our own carnality that we may have set up in which we're too comfortable for Jesus to respond. Lord, destroy these things 
something and that he wants us to respond in our hearts to agree and to the amen and say yes to his word and realize what he's calling us to. That he is calling us to be these agents of restoration. We're the ones that are going to do this thing. We're the ones that are going to restore Jesus and this who he really is to the world. We're going to restore this new white skin. We're supposed to be the ones to do it. And so I just want us to grasp that. You know, God's going to do something, but he's not going to do what he's wanting us to do. You know, he's going to come in and do his part, but he's not going to do our part. And so this is like kind of our part. Um, and this, this scripture says in Hebrews, it says, you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. So this scripture really stood out to me this week, like this
pray your spirit would come on your people, come on all of us in a new way. That we would have a kingdom vision. That something would spark in us a new level of confidence, a feeling of strength. Pray for the joy of the Lord to be released in our hearts. Embrace the kingdom of God as a vision. Every resource that you've given us to contribute to that end. Lord, I pray that there be a new release, a new empowerment, and a new understanding to that end. I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom in it, and insight and understanding of it. So that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing you in every respect, bearing fruit in every deed, increasing in the knowledge of God. Right now, if you have need of, of healing or just encouragement, I encourage you guys to just find some folks. Some of our folks that are ready to pray, uh, you can just move into spaces that are open. There's not really a designated space. I'm asking the house church leaders to pray for folks only as an act of service, not because they're specially qualified among others, but I want other people to receive too. And I just want the power of God to be flowing in faith for restoration. So if you guys just move out into places so people can access you, and if folks want to come get prayer, they can do that. And then also you guys can continue to lead us in some worship. Even if nothing else happens, let's just let's just join together and pray with and for one another. Can we do that?